The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, Story City. Uh, my name is Kimmy, and I'm going to be reading the scripture today, Mark 12, 28 through to 34. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And I will be reading in English and Swahili. Jesus answered, The most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared to question him any longer. Now I will be reading in Swahili. Yesu akamjibu, ilio kunihi sikiliza Israeli, Bwana Mungu wetu ndiye Bwana pekee. Na wempende Bwana Mungu waku, kwa moyo wako wote, kwa roho yako yote, kwa akili zako zote na kwa nguvu zako zote. Na sheria ya pili, kwa uko ndio hii, mpende jirani yako kama nafsi yako. Hakuna amri nyingine iliyokukuliko hizi. Yule mwalimu wa sheria akamwambia Yesu, Mwalimu, umejibu vyema. Ulivyosema ni kweli kabisa. Mungu ni moja wala hakuna mwingine ila yeye. Na kumpenda Mungu kwa moyo wote na kwa akili zote na kwa nguvu zote. Na kumpenda jirani kama mtu anavyojipenda ni bora zaidi kuliko kutoa sadaka ya kuteketezwa. Yesu alipona jinsi alivyojibu kwa busara akamwambia wewe hakuo mbali na ufalme wa Mungu. Tangu wakati huo hakuna mtu aliyetubutu kumuliza maswali zaidi. This is the word of the Lord. So fam, how are you guys doing this morning? I know a couple of you got excited when you heard Hakuna. And now you won't be able to stop singing that song the rest of this morning and that is awesome. That is totally fine by me. Good morning. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. Welcome whether you're joining us uh, in person or online. We are excited. I want to extend a welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Churches. Uh, we are a collective of churches that uh, share uh, leadership, vision, mission, and we deeply love the Valley and Los Angeles, and our hope is to see gospel-centered churches that love their neighborhoods planted in every city in the Valley. For those of you joining us for the first time, uh, either in person or online, welcome again. We're excited to have you. As you've heard before, we want to know your story. We believe that your story is a part of God's story for LA, and so that means a lot to us. Uh, as Justin mentioned, uh, if you didn't get connected, we'd love for you to meet the people under the Next Steps table. It's the same as the welcome table on the way in. You get to see the Next Steps people on the way out. We as a church exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. What does it mean? Every one of us has a story that matters. And as we build community, we learn how to appreciate other people's stories and how to walk with each other as we discover how our stories are connected to Jesus and each other. 
Speaking of being connected to Jesus and each other, you're going to see a video of this later, but I wanted to let you know we are kicking off Celebrate Recovery in January. That is awesome. If you haven't been a part of it, yeah, you can clap. It's fantastic. Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step recovery program for everybody. It's not just alcohol and drugs. It handles things like codependency, anger, food addiction, pornography, the effects of abuse, being a Naruto fan, and so much more. And Justin walked out right before I said that. But I'll get him next service. It's okay. All right, let's get to our minute to mingle question for the day. So if you knew today was your last day on earth, what would you do with it? I told somebody that would be Black Friday shopping. That would be my, I'm just kidding. That would not be it. What, what would you do? What do you got? Spend it with family. Eat. All right, anywhere in particular you eat? Like everywhere. That's, that is a brilliant answer. What else? Skydiving. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Largest life insurance policy you can find. Anybody else? Call your family. Call your family. Okay. Ooh, the largest natural hot springs. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Take a nap. Take a nap. You're about to take the longest one of your life. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> You're pre-gaming. That's... That's a church concept. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, any, yeah, that was funny. Exactly. Anybody else? Yeah. It's always an interesting concept, right? It, you you got to wonder, like, what's stopping us from doing the things that are doable now? Like, what, what is it stopping us from the biggest natural hot springs or spending more time with family. Uh, many of you have heard people who've gotten close to the end of their life and they, they never regret the time they've spent in relationships. And if you, if you listen, a lot of those things are things that are built other than the life insurance policy are built on relationship things, right? Those, those are interesting that that is where that time would actually be spent. Many of us would say family, friends, or doing something cool. Uh, eating, you know, uh, even napping. A lot of those things are are better with other people. We've been uh, in a series called Redefined, uh, a Christian perspective on wealth and power. And today we're wrapping up that series on how Christians should actually view wealth and power as we apprentice Jesus. And we started with power because it's often the motivator or the reason, the driving force behind our values and priorities, what we spend our money on, what we spend our time on, how we sort of view the world. And so We've been talking about this perspective change of being God's managers of money instead of being money owners. Uh, Managers of God's power instead of being uh, owners of power ourselves. And and, and the deal is, is that oftentimes when we feel like we own it, then we give a little piece to God. But if it's God's and we get to use a part of it for ourselves, it, it makes us think completely different about how we use power, money, wealth, influence, time, all of those things. And so today... Uh, This brings us to those taking notes today to our big idea. Today, the big idea is Jesus' command to love God and people means to love with all we are and have. To love God and people means to love with all we are and have. We're going to see today that we are shaped by the fact that God is a sovereign God. We're going to then see how we are commanded to love God and people with our emotions, our character, our intellect, and our capabilities with our emotions, our character, our intellect, and capabilities. Let's pray, and then we will jump back into our scripture again for today. Father, thank you 
for the ways that you have flipped, Lord, the way that we are supposed to live from the ideals of this kingdom. And, and ultimately, it's the kingdom of this world has changed the ideals from what your kingdom was designed to be. And so I thank you that you have helped us come to a place where we can learn and grow and understand who you are and the way that you value priorities and time and money and resources and all of those things. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to have healthy perspectives. Lord, we are grateful that you care enough about us not to just simply create the world and then move on, but to, but to be invested in every single one of us. To not just uh, pour into us individually, but to, to bring us into healthy communities where we can invest and, and disciple and apprentice each other, to, to help each other grow to be encouraged and challenged by the people around us, Lord, to walk with others in this journey. I thank you that there's people who will love us and support us and be with us. Lord, we need that. And so I thank you this morning for the communities that are working hard to glorify your name. Lord, thank you for, um, for Emmanuel Church. Thank you for First Presbyterian Burbank. Lord, thank you for New Creation, Pastor Dan. And thank you for City Light. And uh, Pastor Nick over there, Lord, for Calvary Bible. Lord, thank you for all the churches that are working so hard to, to honor you, to glorify you, to, to make your name known this morning. Bless them, protect them, watch over them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me remind you of Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 28 to 34. It says this. One of the scribes, a scribe is like a lawyer. They are, uh, they are uh, people who knew the law really, really well. And oftentimes scribes were also a Pharisee or a Sadducee, but ultimately a scribe was somebody who really understood the law and would help um, translate it and, and, and help people understand it. And so this is this guy's background. One of the scribes approached, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked, which command is the most important of all? It's a great question because he would have fully understood the commands, would have known the Old Testament well. And Jesus answers him, the most important is... Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, as there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared question him any longer. Now at this point, if you've seen the sermon title, Time Bandits, you may be wondering how this sermon connects with a group of dwarves hopping through time with a stolen map and defeating evil, but I promise we'll get there. I'll do my best to make that connection by the end. Now, speaking of connections, though, Jesus gets asked this interesting question by this lawyer. And I don't know the exact reason or motivation for the question. It could be just he was really curious. Like, Jesus is answering other people well, and so maybe he's asking because he wants to get a good answer. It's possible that it's another clever attempt at a trap. If, if Jesus says, well, this command is more important, then the guy can say, well, you don't value this law, and now he can spin that to be something like, well, Jesus doesn't care about these things. Uh, or perhaps he's asking, what's the minimum I can do to get by? If I just do this, then, then God will protect me and save me, and I'm, I'm good, because there was a sense of fulfilling the law is what brought salvation, and this is what Jesus was changing. 
But either way, Jesus kind of cuts down all of those answers in a way that shows God's heart and sums up all of Scripture. Jesus says in in another uh, passage, it says that Jesus said that those two commands, all the law and the prophets hang on them, meaning that, that those are the core, the heart of everything. If you do that, you essentially fulfill all of the law. But Jesus didn't just come up with that in that moment. He's actually quoting from other places in Scripture. The first is from the book of Deuteronomy. And it's a famous passage even today. It's called the Shema. It's uh, memorized and quoted as an integral part of the Jewish faith even today. And the first line begins, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And it means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, we could, that one sentence has so much wrapped into it in meaning and purpose. It's the foundation for both the Jewish and Christian faiths wrapped up into one sentence. And we'd need a whole other sermon to break it down. But, but for now, just know that there is a lot in that one statement. But verse 5 then gets to the command that Jesus is telling us. And so it says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what Jesus is quoting in the first part of this. The second one is from the book of Leviticus. God is speaking to Moses about how he expects the people of Israel to act. And he insists there to be a just people. This, this conversation that's happening is about uh, how Israel is expected to be different than the neighbors around them. That God expects them to be people who care for the widow, the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the resident alien, and our neighbors. That's a part of this whole discussion. And so Jesus grabs this command right out of the middle of this. Now, it's important to recognize that in the Old Testament, because so much was memorized, right? You couldn't text each other stuff. Uh, because so much was memorized, you would oftentimes give one line of a scripture and everybody would know the whole passage it was referring to. And so Jesus is, is, is highlighting this whole area of scripture when he gives this one line. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so when Jesus is asked what the most important uh, command in scripture is, he gives two, and he gives these two as equal and most important. The question that we're left with then, if, if we truly listen to what Jesus said, is twofold. Who is our neighbor? And what does it mean to love them, right? And, and that's exactly what we find out uh, happens in the book of Luke, that after Jesus tells this, then a, somebody says, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of a parable of the good Samaritan. Now, briefly, the story is that this man is walking along a road. He gets jumped by, rob- by robbers. He's beaten. He's left for dead. And a number of Jewish leaders go by who should have had compassion and mercy on him use the purity laws. I can't touch somebody who might be dead. Uh, They don't check if he's dead. They just go, I I can't touch him. And so they don't show any concern for him and they they keep going by. So they use the law as an excuse not to do something that the law would have commanded them to do, which is have mercy on those that can't care for themselves to love their neighbors as themselves is exactly the heart behind it. Then a Samaritan comes by, bandages the man's wound, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for the rest of his care and his lodging, and then says, if there's any other expense incurred when I come back through, I'll pay whatever is necessary. And he does all this out of the kindness of the Samaritan's heart. What we lose or miss in this is something that the, the Jews would have known really well at that time, and that's how hated the Samaritan people were to the Jews. 
I mean, absolutely hated. Uh, It was only 150 years before this that in the midst of this feud that had been going on and a lot of it had to do with which temple to worship at and and, and the Samaritans were claiming that they were part Jewish and that they had the right temple and and the people of Israel got into this this, uh, argument. It's like Hatfields and McCoys. They're kind of knocking each other off and, uh, and the Samaritans do the ultimate. They desecrate the temple of the Jews. Now, this led to this horrendous back and forth constant. In fact, uh, it was still going on. There was still such a hatred that the fastest way for those up in Nazareth or in the Sea of Galilee, even today, to go down to Jerusalem would be to cut through Samarian lands, Samaritan lands. But they, the, the people of Israel wouldn't do it. They actually went out of their way. They went ta- sideways and down and came through Jericho up instead of walking through the Samaritan towns just to avoid the Samaritan people. And so Jesus uses this example of a people group they would have had every reason to malign, to mistrust, to dislike. And his point is that our neighbor is not just the people who we like or who are like us, but everyone who God has put in our path. Everyone that God has put in our path. Now this tracks with the scripture in Leviticus that Jesus quotes when sharing God's commands to love our neighbor. Second, we have the question, what does Jesus mean when he commands us to love God and love people? And I'm going to come back to that later in the sermon. But first, there's a a foundational thing that we have to cover for us to understand what we do with all of this. And this is our first observation for the day for those taking notes. God is a sovereign God. It's it's something we have to understand as, as who God is. And this is a hard one for us because we live with this idea of, of Western freedom, of Western, uh, I can do anything with my life, I can be anything, and so it's difficult for us because most of us did not grow up under uh, a monarchy or a theocracy or anything else. We've grown up with a sense of we elect our officials uh, and, and, and all of that. And so this idea that God is sovereign, that God reigns, that God rules as king and lord is sometimes difficult for us to, we can intellectually get there, but it's hard for us to sort of live that way. But the gospel is that God rules over all that is known and unknown. He created a world and all that's in it. He then tasked humanity with two jobs. The first was to live out their creation mandate as a mago Dei, as the image bearers of God, reflection of who God is and how he leads, how he loves, how he cares, how he provides for all of creation. We have done a terrible job at that. But that was what we were created for. In everything we do to point, to, to, to show who God is by the way that we represent him, like ambassadors. The second one is we are to fill the earth with great culture. Do not get me started on Christian culture and how bad it is. Though many of you are working hard to change that, and I appreciate that. Humanity, in the end, though, rebelled against God's uh, plan for us, against God's uh, role for us, instead preferring to rule ourselves and do our own thing and in our own way. And so we, we traded our relationship with God in, in, in rebelling against him, and we became slaves to sin and death. Despite deserving that, God would not leave us there because he's an incredibly gracious and loving God. And so he took on human nature in addition to his God nature and entered into our humanity, which is incredible. The path took him across, took him to the cross and taking that penalty that we deserved on himself. Now through the cross, he created reconciliation and restoration for all those who would apprentice Jesus. 
The Bible teaches that those who apprentice Jesus by the faith that God gives us, so it's not even our own faith, that God has to give us that faith to apprentice him, are then transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven, and we become citizens of that kingdom, but that's not even all. It sounds like an infomercial, but there's more. The Father, in addition, adopts us as uh, beloved sons and daughters of him and gives us an inheritance with Jesus. It's not that we're just brought in like some haphazard stepchildren, but we're, we're literally brought in and adopted and loved and, and cared for in incredible ways. It's, it's amazing. And yet sometimes we act like we are those, you know, spoiled children who hate our parents. Well, why do I have to obey you? Why do I have to do things this way? You know, why do I have to have parents? <laughs> like, and while God is our loving heavenly father, he is still king. He is still the one who created the entire universe, everything again, known and unknown. He's still king. And even though we're adopted and loved, it's not because it was deserved. It's because God is simply gracious. Now, family, we've tried things our way. Humanity as a whole has tried over and over to do our things our way, and it never works out in our favor. It's a hard lesson. We all think we can do it, and yet it does not work. And we actually have a lot less control over our lives than we'd like to think. Some of us think we have plenty of control. But look with me in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17 says this. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. That's all that's above, all that's below. Does not live in shrines made by human hands. He's not confined to what we make. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He is self-sufficient since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Therefore, nothing exists, family, without God creating it, sustaining it. Verse 26, for he has made, for from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined, listen to this, has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God. This is the reason why. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Do you realize that the era you were born in and the place you were born was not in your control? Now, I mean, we get that, right? You're like, yeah, of course. I would have been born in the 40s or I would have been born in the 50s or whatever, right? Uh, some of you are like, ancient Greece, uh, but the reality is is that that God chose the exact time you know I I love uh, one of the things that bugs me about Christian nationalists those are the people who are like this is the greatest uh, country on earth and God only exists here and therefore this is the only country to be blessed by God which is an evil way of thinking but uh, there are those out there who who fall in that thing and listen I'm a veteran I love my country but but God is in control not the US of A right and the reality is that um, God is, is existing and there are people who love and worship him all over the world because he created the whole world. And, uh, and, and I think it's funny that people brag about, well, we're American, like that you had some choice in it, right? Like if you were born here, you had no control over where you were born. You had no control over what decade you were born in, right? This, this, it's not something that we can really brag about because God is the one that determined where we were going to be born and the era and everything else. Now, the reason he did it, it says the reason he did this is because it was the best opportunity for you to seek God and find him. That he knew what he was doing. He wanted you to have a relationship with him because he always does what's best for us and for his kingdom. Not always what we like, 
but what's best for us and for his kingdom. Both the prophet Jeremiah and the apostle Paul in his book of Romans tell us that we are like clay in God's hands. He can shape us and command us in any way that he wants because he's our maker and he knows exactly what's best for us. And this is what we call God's sovereignty. He is actually the one in control. Uh, And the best way I can describe this It's like a coloring book that has not been colored in, right? The lines are there. You know what the picture is. You're just adding the flavor to it. And and so the outline, like the the fact that when we're born and where we're born, that we would be apprentices of Jesus, those things are set. We don't have control over those things. But inside that, he gives us the freedom to exercise our personalities, our gifts, our abilities, our, our, our calling in a way that points people to Jesus by the way that that picture is lived out, okay? And so he gives us that freedom inside of those things. The Bible says that God's will is never thwarted or unfulfilled. So even if we were abandoned dwarves who had stolen a map from the supreme being to travel history like pirates, trying to get treasure, the supreme being still could and would use that to defeat evil. Boom. There it is. All right. <laughs> but for us, how does God maintain? Some of you are like, I have no idea this reference. You have to like 80s movies uh, to get that, but that's okay. Right now, the Google search for Time Bennett just went up by like 100%. Okay, so how does God maintain his sovereignty and still uh, deal with disobedience? One, one example would be is if God tells us to share our faith with somebody, and he's like, hey, I, I want you to share your faith with this person, and we don't do it. It doesn't mean that that person doesn't come to faith. Because God's will is always fulfilled. What it means is that we miss out on the blessing of being obedient and getting the joy and the reward from helping that person come to faith. But God is going to move them on to somebody else who will be obedient. And so the reality is is God's will is not thwarted. We simply miss out on the reward of what God is doing because God is still the ultimate authority and has ultimate control. This brings us back to verse 29 of today's passage. Jesus answered, The most important is, listen, Israel, that's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command, circle that word, there is no other command greater than these. This is not just a suggestion. This is not a nice thought. It's not a, hey, I hope you do this. This is a command. And the reason God can give us a command is because he's sovereign. He's king. He is the owner, the creator, the one that made us, that made everything known and unknown. He owns it all. And so he gives us a command, not a, I kind of hope that you will do this thing. And it, giving us a command means that we are going to be held accountable to whether, we not, whether or not we are obedient to that command. Now, for those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation for the day. We are commanded to love God and people with our, all of our emotions, our character, our intellect, and our capabilities. In verse 30, we are commanded to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The word heart in this verse means the center of a person's thoughts, their volitions, their emotions, uh, the conscious knowledge of right or wrong. The word soul means our psychological center, the personality, the character, the makeup of what makes us, us. And the word mind means our intellect and reason. Now strength is not just how much you possess in your arms. Strength is the the possession of qualities to do something or to get something done. It includes our physical abilities, but also refers to all of our abilities. 
Now, in, in, in laying it out this way, he, he makes sure that we understand there's no part of us left out that is, that is called to do this. But just to make sure, there's a little word in there that is all. I'll give you one guess what that word all means in Scripture. All. Yeah, it's <laughs> surprise. It means to the full extent or quality, the, the, to the everything. It means nothing is held back. The word has a special emphasis on the whole of it. It's, it's not a part. It's not like we can give one part and I give my best with that one part. It's literally all, everything, fully and completely. And so we are commanded to give ourselves fully and completely to the fullest extent, nothing held back to God and to people. The implication is that if we truly love God, we can't help but love and serve people. That's, that's what comes out of it. This is why God spends so much time saying that you have to care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, that you have to care about justice, that you have to be involved in taking care of those that can't care for themselves because if we truly love God, our heart will always break for people. Yeah, but which people? Who is my neighbor? Exactly. Some of them I don't like very much. I get it, right? And this is exactly why Jesus told the story and said your neighbor is the one that comes in contact with you. Now, the theme over the past few weeks has been the kingdom of this world has one way of living and the kingdom of heaven has a different way of doing things. And as Christians, we've often been taught, I believe we've often been taught that we're just supposed to take what the world has and try to use those things to, to be redeemed and try to use them for good. In the first week, I gave an example of a Christian I knew who was trying to use magic so they could, learn, they could use it for good. And they were, they were like, no, 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 if I use it for good, it's, it's white magic. And they, they truly believed that even though they understood the source of magic they were attempting to use was clearly tied to something outside of God's kingdom. When it, where it came from didn't matter, only how it was used was their argument. But to me, that's kind of like seeking out clothing specifically made in a child's sweatshop to have a fundraiser to end child labor. It, it's, it's, it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. In God's kingdom, we find there is plenty of power, plenty of wealth, plenty of time. All of these things God has an abundance of. And so instead of trying to redeem the world, we simply use God's. We just have to understand it's not ours, it's God's. And he gifts us it in order to fulfill what he needs us to do in his kingdom. He entrusts each person with a measure of it. As we talked about last week, we see from the parables in Matthew and Luke that according to Jesus, anything he gives us is still his. It belongs to him, and we are held accountable to whether we use it to further his kingdom or not. Do you know, though, one thing that is necessary for us to effectively love God and people with our emotions, our character, our intellect, and our capabilities? It's time. We can't do it without time. Now, for some of us, giving up our ways of using money and power is no big deal. It's like, all right. I never had much of that anyway, so it's not a big deal to me. But time, giving up our time, nope. That's hard. For some of us, that will be harder than anything else. Did you know that God has ordained how long we'll live and he's ordered our days accordingly? The book of Job tells us that God knows the number of our days and he will not let us exceed the boundaries he has set for us. If our time is redeemed just like power and wealth, then also our time is not ours but God's. And that means we're held accountable for how we use our time and how God has entrusted us with that. Have you ever been asked by somebody, I love this, right? They're like, hey, how are you? And you start to tell them, they're like, oh, shh, I gotta go, I'll see you. You're like, what? 
why did you ask me in the first place? If you didn't have time, like what, what was the big deal about asking me how I was doing, right? Partly because they, they just wanted to hear fine and move on. All of us have experienced that, right? Uh, I remember a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was working two jobs and riding with a motorcycle club, which is very much like a full-time job in and of itself. And a couple of my club brothers and I had planned to meet up. And so I'm trying to balance this time, right? I'm like essentially working three jobs. And I'm like, I, I just, <laughs> there's just not enough time in the day. And I was like, look, I, I have between 11 and 1 today. I've carved out for you guys for lunch. That's what I got. And so we, meet, we agreed to meet up at 11 at our normal restaurant. And uh, I showed up 10 minutes early because it's the military in me, right? And, uh, and so I'm sitting there and I wait and I wait and I wait some more. Now, I love these guys. These guys are creatives in their day jobs, and so they're sort of on bad terms with time. Get it? And this day is no different. What time do you think they showed up? Five minutes to one. Five minutes to one. And so I was like, hey, guys, what's up? And then I got up and left, and they're like, hey, where are you being a jerk? I was like, I'm not being a jerk. I have to go. And they were like, well, you said, I was like, I said I had between 11 and 1, and we agreed to meet at 11. It's two hours later, and they're like, you're being a jerk. I'm like, look, here's the deal. Any time that I give to you means I'm saying no to somebody or something else, right? The, the reality is, is that, that I'm always going to be busy. But if I t- say yes to you, I'm saying no. It could be my family. It could be a person that needs counseling. It could be self-care, self-development, or being in the community. That saying yes to anything is always, it doesn't matter how busy you are, saying yes to anything is always saying no to something else. Now, by the nature of the job I've chosen, I will always be busy. That's just the nature of it, right? I will always make time for people who, who are like, hey, I need time. I will always do that. I'm probably going to ask you, do you want help or do you want me? Because there's a lot more help in this church than just me. But the reality is that I often have to say no to good things so I can say yes to the things that have to prioritize my time at that moment, right? Now, those guys didn't get it then, but eventually they came to understand how valuable time was to me. And then they began to appreciate that, oh, this is a moment where Jared is actually sacrificing for us. And listen, family, it's the same for all of us. We will always have a limited amount of time, money, energy, strength, or influence. All things that fall within in what the Bible describes as our capabilities, the strength part of Jesus' statement. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying you have to love with every part of you, with your time, your ability, your energy, your effort, your influence, everything that falls within a capability to get something done. Now, make no mistake, he will still hold us accountable for how that time is built. He gives us freedom to choose how we're gonna do that but he holds us accountable to whether or not we're building the kingdom of God with those things. Now, spending time with our family, our family's our first ministry, that is building the kingdom of God, right? If the world around us loves Jesus and our kids do not, that is not loving the kingdom of God and expanding the kingdom of God. So family time is still building the kingdom of God. Loving our neighbors is building the kingdom of God. Investing in the community is building the kingdom of God. Those are all things that are positive things. We just have to make sure that we are using those things for God's glory. To to care for the needs of the people around us. To enjoy God. To build a relationship with him is building the kingdom of God. We just have to constantly give him credit and thanks. To teach others how to apprentice Jesus is building the kingdom of God. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus' command to do that. That's 
building the kingdom of God. To live with one ear, always listening to his spirit as what he wants us to do with what he's given us is building the kingdom of God. To use our capabilities, our influence, and even our jobs to promote the kingdom of God is what God has called us to do. To make great culture, Christians, and see Jesus' name glorified. So here's what we've learned today. Jesus' command to love God and people means to love with all we are and have. Nothing held back. We see how we're shaped by the fact that God is sovereign and he's given us commands. And then we see how we're commanded to love God and people with all of our emotions, all of our character, all of our intellect, and all of our capabilities. And so family, I want to challenge you this week. Spend some time honestly reflecting on what you've heard. Is there any area of your life that you're treating like it's yours and not God's? Are there any parts of your life that are not being used to the fullest and most complete for his kingdom and his glory? Ask him to show you and ask what he would have you do with that time instead. And this is a great topic for our missional communities and our DNA groups. Remember, the Christian life is not meant to be lived apart from community. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, reflect on what you've said to us through praise and scripture. Lord, we express our gratitude for all you're doing in us and through us. As we prepare to leave, we ask that you help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. And now to this community of Christ apprentices, we pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.